Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. morning so far getting kicked off with some more baptisms probably uh, prayerfully doing some more next week God just keeps working in people's lives and you know what I've been really thinking about this and been reading what some other pastors are are dealing with you know when, when I got saved when I was just younger than Easton uh, it the way things worked is somebody came into a church house walked down an aisle took the preacher by the hand got saved and baptized. And you know what we're seeing across the board is, is that is simply not the way that it normally works anymore. Uh, evangelism now in America has to be so much more relational. And what I mean by that is you're having to spend time with people one-on-one outside of the church setting. And it's typically in those interpersonal relationships with people that you intentionally grow close to that a lot of these decisions are being made, which is a good thing. But the flip side of that means, church, we have to be intentional about building relationships and leading people to Christ, even outside of the church house. All right. Eric did an excellent job last week preaching, and I'm so thankful for him diving into God's word in a very difficult section of James chapter 3. And we dealt with the issue, uh, several issues, but the primary issue of people becoming teachers and wanting to become teachers. And with that, the impact, positive or negative, that the tongue can have not only on your life, but really those around you as well. And he drove home the point that I think James has been making all along, which is that it's not just about the tongue. It's not just about good works or good behavior. It's very much a matter of the heart. And it's out of that heart that all of these other things, good or bad, typically flow. So I had an interesting experience this week, actually yesterday. Uh, James kicked off his letter, remember in chapter 1, he talked about patience. How's everybody doing with patience? Uh, Mine was put to the test yesterday. I don't know if you've ever had to put together a trampoline for your kids. Uh, But I got home about a little after lunchtime, early afternoon, and lo and behold, in my driveway were these two gigantic boxes, half the size of the house, that had just been left there. And it was apparently... Easton and Audrey's birthday gift, joint gift from the grandparents. Thank you, grandparents, for that gift. And so for the next several hours, I'm in the backyard trying my best to put this trampoline together. And I'll be honest with you, my patience was stretched very thin. And I almost decided just to give up on the whole thing and and go do something else. And James kind of gets into that this morning at the end of chapter 3 talking about one way of thinking versus another way of thinking, which ties into one way of living versus another way of living. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18 this morning in chapter 3 of James. And what James ultimately does is he contrasts, in his words, godly wisdom with worldly or ungodly wisdom, two totally different trains of thoughts. And he teaches us 
that it's wise for us to live a godly life. There's a lot of benefits to living a good, godly Christian life. And that godly wisdom, when applied to especially your relationships with other people, through love and peace, as we'll talk about, it ends up producing that fruit that James keeps bringing up, that Jesus talked about, this good fruit that's going to last. Let's look at verse 13. James says, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is, every, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So James, again, is still speaking in the context of teachers and who should be a teacher and what a good teacher looks like. But the application is good for all Christians. Now, these verses here at the end of chapter 3 actually form a focal point in the very middle of the book of James. And he asks this rhetorical question, who among you is wise? I almost included that in our discussion questions tonight. Who's wise here? Uh, Just to see what would happen. I didn't. Don't worry. Come back tonight. It'll be okay. But I'm sure that many believe that they were wise in James's day, that they were capable of being good teachers or leaders in the church. But James does something here. He, he marries wisdom, godly wisdom, with good conduct, with living right. And he contrasts this type of godly wisdom with ungodly, or as he says, even demonic wisdom or a way of thinking. And, and all the results that come with looking at life and thinking that way. And so what James is really relaying about wisdom, it's what he's been saying all along, it's what Jesus said, and it's it's that everything we do needs to be done in love because ultimately it's going to affect another person. All these things, such as bitter envy, selfish ambition, disorder, they fly in the face of heavenly wisdom. So James teaches us four attributes of godly wisdom. First, godly wisdom starts with the right attitude. He says, by his good conduct, he should show that his works are not just done, not just accomplished, but done a certain way, done in gentleness that comes from wisdom. Wisdom is really the true source of gentleness, or another word for this, some of your translations may say humility. Wisdom in its biblical essence It's a healthy fear of who God is and a reverence of who God is. As Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. And so James's heart message, it deals with how we treat and interact with one another. Do we do this in love? Are we interacting with one another in humility? Or is it from a position of pride? Is it from a position of bitterness and envy and jealousy because on the surface it appears that James is very much focused with the external things right be good do good talk good be a good cross follower but he very effectively reminds us throughout the entire book 
that everything that we do is rooted in who we are. And that every action, every word, everything that comes out of our life, good fruit or bad fruit, it really results from first an attitude. And that ultimately makes the difference between we doing or being, or what we do or be, worthwhile or not. Because here's the truth. You can do some really good things. But if you do it the wrong way, or say it the wrong way, or you do it the wrong attitude, really you might as well not do it at all. Attitude is almost everything. It's not everything. But a good coach will tell you the attitude is at least what? 80-90% of the battle? Humility is the most important thing about our attitude. And humility, let's talk real quick about this because this is what James is talking about when he says gentleness. Humility is not simply being meek and mild and passive. It's not just about being quiet or letting people walk all over you. That's not biblical humility. Humility is having uh, the wisdom to know when to be quiet and when to sit back and when to watch. Humility is a lot like a bridled stallion. It's got all this power that is harnessed for the sake of other people. And so Uh, There's no greater example of this, I believe, than Jesus' example for us. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. So again, all this power, it was bridled in. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus perfectly displayed for us what true, godly, biblical humility is supposed to look like. Again, having all the power of heaven at his disposal, the the power to call down legions of angels to rescue him and to spare him from our cross. But in his humility, he restrained that power. And Paul says he died for us on our cross. Paul and James both agree that should be our own attitude when dealing with other people. And the second part of godly wisdom is that it not only starts with the right attitude, but it leads to the right action. I said attitudes, most of it, the rest of it is what you do with it. James is big on action. He says attitudes great. He says faith is great. He said good intentions are great, but if it all stops there, they fall short and they have to actually do something. Listen, a lot of really good Christians have most things figured out. I'll be honest, we have big faith, we have the perfect attitude, but if it's not paired with action, then we're missing out on that part of what James is talking about. James says, godly wisdom must be on display through good conduct and through good works. Not only does godly wisdom produce the right attitude, but it produces right living. That attitude, that faith, as we've been talking about week in and week out, it bubbles up out of you and produces something good. That's the major theme of James's entire book, is that that inner man and that inner woman, when right with God, should produce something wonderful in your life. There should be action that results from that inner transformation that we've got to celebrate so beautifully this morning through baptism. That change has taken place in you through Christ. I think what James has in mind at this point, it's not just sinful living. He's not just talking about bad things. 
But he's talking about things that result from the wrong attitude. Notice what he says. He says, if you have bitter envy or selfish ambition in your heart, ultimately you're well on your way to destroying important relationships with your, in your life and with other believers. Those two things are so destructive. Here's why. Those attitudes, those heart issues, bitterness, envy, selfish ambition, they will lead you to do and to say things to other people that can be so hurtful and so destructive and even divisive to the body of Christ. As James says in verse 16, they can cause disorder and every evil practice. What that means, it's, it's, it's morally based actions. So jealousy and selfish ambition, they're two separate things, but I believe they often go together. Jealousy is an intense sorrow, even a pain that you feel and experience over what someone else has or what someone else is. How many people have been jealous? Maybe in middle school, let's be honest. We've been jealous before. We've all been there. It happens. Thank you, Rep. One honest man in the whole building. We've all been jealous, right? Selfish ambition, on the other hand, is placing yourself or your agenda or your desires above those of everybody else. Now, you can see how these two things are contrary to the gospel, right? And when you put these two things together, they will lead you to do and say things that harm people, that hurt people, that hurt people's feelings. And again, we've all been there. They not only hurt those around you, though. Here's the, here's the real problem with this. Yes, they will damage relationships. But at the end of the day, who's the one that experiences the most pain from envy and selfish ambition? It's you. Because inside, you are bitter. Inside, you're restless. Inside, you will never be satisfied because that bitter envy and selfish ambition cannot be satisfied until you are totally destroyed. But when you let those things go... The flip side of that is you're free. You are free to do the things that God desires you to do. The good conduct, the good works, to show mercy, to produce good fruit. As Paul says, to do the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. And with the right attitude, you are able through Christ to just perform the right actions. To live the way that God wants you to live. Third thing, James is also quick to point this out, is that godly wisdom comes from the right authority. The world operates one way. The entire world thinks one way. Our world is very selfish. It's very self-centered. Every person has their own ambitions. Every person has their own agenda. The world is full of greed and jealousy and envy, which fuels and drives all this selfish ambition. And because of that, Paul reminds us that the world is full of disorder and every kind of evil. How many knows that to be true? James says, such wisdom or such way of thinking, such way of operating is earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. It's bad. But the other side of that, in contrast, he says there's a wisdom that comes from God himself. And he says this way of thinking, this way of living is pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without pretense. You see, we can, we can understand most of these attributes of God's wisdom, right? This is pretty simple. We know what pure means. We know what peace-loving means. Means to uh, be set apart. To, it's in contrast to every kind of evil. Peace loving stands in contrast to the disorder and the chaos of the world. 
gentle and, and kind when dealing with others. And then we come down to this word, the CSB translates compliant. Now to me, that's just an odd word to think that we're called to be compliant. I'm going to be honest with you. The, the rebel in me doesn't want to be compliant with everything. There's some things that I just want to buck. Some translate this word even to say submissive. And here's what's neat about this word. This particular word is only found right here in James in the entire Bible. And it makes you wonder, if we're supposed to be submissive or compliant, to whom are we supposed to be those things? The New Translate, Living Translation, I think, translates it pretty well. As a willingness to yield to others. The great historian Josephus, he used this word to describe troops who are under the control of a commander. Sometimes it's used to describe people who are persuadable. I wouldn't say gullible, but persuadable. And so I think what it is, it's a word that is similar to well, our understanding, again, of humility. James is saying godly wisdom not only includes all these other things, but it ultimately means you're not supposed to be so bullheaded, Christian. <laughs> that hurts, doesn't it? It means that when someone else has a better idea or a better understanding of Scripture or what is right versus what is wrong, that you're supposed to be willing to yield to what is right and what is godly. Because the hard truth is we're all imperfect. And we're all going to see things a little bit differently. And because of that, sometimes we're going to be wrong. And sometimes we have to admit that and yield to the one that is right. The apostles dealt with this. The early church dealt with this. Lord knows the church has been dealing with this for the past 2,000 years. But it means that you have to do this and put what's right above, even, as James says, your own selfish ambitions. That's a hard lesson. Going along with this, James says, God, the wisdom is full of mercy. Just as God is full of mercy, you have to have compassion and kindness toward others because, again, it's not all about you. And he says it produces good fruit. Just as Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And then he says it's unwavering or impartial. It's, what he means is it's free from prejudice. It truly loves people just because they're people, not because of what they bring to the table or the way they look or what they have to offer. It just looks at people and loves them because that's the way Jesus loves them. And lastly, he says it's without pretense or without deceit. It's sincere and it's genuine. Folks, that is godly wisdom. And what you got to understand, all this long list of good things that James gives to us, it has to come from God. These things are not natural. It's not natural for us to put the the the, the a benefit of somebody else above our own. It's not natural for us to view the world this way. It has to come from God. That's the authority from which it comes. Because the world doesn't operate like that. But Christ's kingdom does. And if we're going to be part of Christ's kingdom, James would say we have to practice these things. That would be a good verse to put on your mirror every morning. It talks about pure and gentleness and compassion and Lord knows I need to start my day out that way sometimes. Last thing about godly wisdom. Similar to the first, James brings it full circle. And that is that it uses the right approach. He says in verse 18, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. 
I don't know about you, but this was a little hard for me to wrap my mind around, just, just reading through this verse. It's also been translated like this. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And so to use the farming or agricultural terms that James is using here, he's saying a peacemaker, which should be a Christian who's a peacemaker, has to sow righteousness in soils of peace and cultivate that. And if they do, then they will eventually harvest even greater righteousness. Again, it all ties back to that attitude, even more than the action. Somewhat of the authority as well. But peacemakers, what is a peacemaker? It's those who in God's wisdom and God's authority are doing their very best to cultivate peace and love. Now I know when we talk about peace and love and harmony, I wasn't alive then, but it takes some of you several decades back, right? To a time when the world was pretty messed up. And we'll probably see some hippies out here dressed up next Sunday night wandering around. Peace and love and harmony and all that stuff. But listen, a Christian is supposed to be an instrument of peace and love in this chaotic and disorderly world. We're supposed to be light in all of this darkness that we're surrounded by. And what James is talking about here, it's the complete opposite of all the disorder and division he can that he talks about. And the lesson for us, I believe, is that no matter what we're doing, even if it's good deeds, even if it's done with a good attitude, it still has to be done the right way. It has to be done in peace and in love for Christ, for one another. Paul was dealing with some very troubling things in the Corinthian church. Listen, unless the Lord leads me, I'm never doing a study on Corinthians and talking about the things that were going on in the Corinthian church. I mean, it, it makes you blush what they dealt with. But Paul was dealing with this, and, and, and it was, he, he says this. He says, what do you wish, church? Shall I come to you with a rod, or shall I come with, a, with love and a spirit of gentleness or humility? See, we're not, the reason I'm talking about this is we're not innately good at this. And I can say this because... As we've been going through the book of James and we talk about things that hurt, I've told you before, if you're getting hurt by this, it's already hurt me like on Monday and Tuesday of this week. I've been there. This, this hits me hard because many of us here in the mountains, we're from what bloodline? Scottish, Irish, mostly. A few others scattered in. We, we have this uh, rebel spirit and we'll fight you at the drop of a hat. I mean, we, it's just it's how a lot of us are. It's not necessarily right. But many of us are also trained warriors. And what I mean by that, we have a, a, a high population of veterans here. And we got all these factors fitting into who we are right here in Knox County. And we would just like to fight. You should amen that. It's true. It's not good, but it's true. We do. But the Bible makes it clear but we're not supposed to just be fighters. We are supposed to fight the good fight. But we're not supposed to be stubborn in our mountain ways. Uh, but we're supposed to be the ones in this world that if nobody else is doing it, we're cultivating peace. Everyone else, the rest of the world is focused on self. And everyone else, because of that, are creating disorder, creating 
chaos, bringing about destruction and devastation. But Jesus said, we're to be the light of this world. We're the ones who are supposed to show everybody else the true love of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Paul said in Romans 12, if it be possible, as much as you, uh, as much as you can live peaceably, With all men. Jesus again in Matthew 7 said, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So this morning, I kind of want to end here and focus on this thought. It's where James ties it all together at the end of James chapter 3. And here's your takeaways. This is where I want to challenge you this morning. First of all, let's be honest. Are you a peacemaker? If you're a child of God, you're supposed to be a peacemaker. Or is your fruit, your, your words, your action, is, is the things that you're saying and you're doing, are they causing disorder and division and hurt? If so, we need to repent from that. Secondly, do you have peace? <laughs> do you have peace with God? Can you look around at your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I have peace with them so much as is possible from my 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 standpoint. If not, I think you need to set that straight today. Thirdly, this one hurts. How's your attitude? Is your attitude like that of Jesus, as Paul says, who humbly restrained himself and gave his very life for your sake? If not, simply ask him to make you more like him this morning. Stand together as we close in prayer. God, we have so much to be thankful for. Your love for us. God, the way that you're working and changing people. Transforming us all into the likeness of Christ. God, passages like this are just another reminder that we got a lot of rough edges that need worked out. God, it hurts to think that my attitude is not always what it should be think that I'm not bringing peace and light to this world and to those around me. How damaging that is to our witness. But God, even more startling is the reality that someone may not even have peace with you to begin with. The Bible would say that if we're apart from Christ, we're not only lost, but we're an enemy with God. And if that don't change, we are doomed for all of eternity. So Lord, it's my prayer this morning, first and foremost, that if someone here is lost, today they would be saved. God, for the rest of us, if we're struggling with some of this stuff, God, if we've got bitterness in our heart, if we've got envy and, and selfishness in our heart, Lord, I pray you'd fix our hearts we could be more like Christ humble and obedient to you we ask all this in Jesus name amen this morning as we go into a time of response if you need to pray you can come pray if you want someone to pray with you I'd be more than glad to pray with you but if there's a decision that the Lord is pressing on your heart 
Maybe it's to be saved. Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe it's to be a church member. However the Lord is leading you, if you need to come this morning, why don't you come as we sing a song of invitation? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.